Good morning, everyone. You are now listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore, with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and I am a survivor of childhood sex abuse. I'm also a drug user. This podcast is to be used as a form of therapy for myself, and it is for listeners that identify as victims of addiction or victims of sex abuse, or any kind of abuse for that matter. Today's reading, I'm going to be continuing the work that I I began with the last episode. This is a poem by Theodore Rutke, entitled The Lost Son. I'd already Uh, read parts one and two in the previous episode. Today I'm going to be writing, um, I'm going to be reading from part three, The Gibber. At the wood's mouth, by the cave's door, I listened to something I had heard before. Dogs of the groin barked and howled. The sun was against me. The moon would not have me. The weeds whined, The snakes cried. The cows and briars said to me, Die. What a small song. What slow clouds. What dark water. Hath the rain a father? All the caves are ice. Only the snow's here. I'm cold. I'm cold all over. Rub me in, father and mother. Fear is my father. Father, fear. His look drained the stones. What gliding shape, beckoning through halls, stood poised on the stair, fell dreamily down. From the mouths of jugs, perched on many shelves, I saw a substance flowing that cold morning. Like a slither of eels, that watery cheek, as my own tongue kissed my lips awake. Is this the storm's heart? The ground is unstilling itself. My veins are running nowhere. Do the bones cast out their fire? Is a seed leaving the old bed? These buds are alive as birds. Where, where are the tears of the world? Let the kisses resound flat like a butcher's palm. Let the gestures freeze. Our doom is already decided. All the windows are burning. What's left of my life? I want the old rage, the lash of primordial milk, Goodbye, goodbye, old stones. The time order is going. I have married my hands to perpetual agitation. I run, I run to the whistle of money. Money, money, money. Water, water, water. How cool the grass is. Has the bird left? The stalk still sways. Has the worm of a shadow? What did the cloud say? These sweeps of light undo me. Look, look, the ditch is running white. I've more veins than a tree. Kiss me, ashes. I'm falling through a dark swirl. That was a poem written by Theodore Rutke called The Lost Son, Part 3, The Gibber.
Well, dear friends, uh, today's show is going to be about coping skills. And I know this may be standard issue in psychology and, and maybe therapy as well. But coping skills are with you whether you like it or not. And I'm really not going to go into the deep waters of Sigmund Freud or psychoanalysis. But within the construct of this show, for the next 10 or 15 minutes, I guess, I'm going to be talking about myself and the things that I have learned since I have been in therapy. I am in group therapy. Uh, for those of you that have been paying attention, my attendance is now a little bit spotty. And it's not really something that I want to quantify, but I will say that it is perhaps maybe the idea that I'm as healed as I'm ever going to be because there's a point in time, and this is something that I learned in doctoral, people are just going to do something so they can have something to talk about in therapy. And I don't want to be that person. I don't know where I'm going. But today's show is about repression. Now, the textbook definition uh, goes something like, unpleasant or hurtful emotions, memories are removed from the conscious mind. And in doing so, we no longer have to deal with those things. Unfortunately for some of us, it is a precursor to post-traumatic stress disorder. I guess maybe you could consider it some kind of life shock, sort of like shell shock for the veterans of World War I. What humans do to each other for the sake of fill in the blank. Now, repression does belong to Sigmund Freud in regards to his psychoanalytical model. And it's about the only thing that you can take from Freud now in modernity. But the fact is, is that repression is something that every guy in the group has had to deal with, and maybe you've done so in your own life. Something happened to you when you were a kid, or something happened to you at prom, or something happened to you at work, or something happened to you, you know, in college, in a relationship, at church, whatever and you don't want to think about it anymore, and it just kind of disappears. But the thing is, is that these are bodies that come back to the surface if you wanted to use the river or a lake as a metaphor for your own life. You can't keep them down forever. You want to. And it's all well and good for people to start talking about and this is something the moderator does about healthy coping skills, uh, you know, healthy emotional choices. And it's not really that I dismiss these things. It's, once again, it's just one of the things about therapy. Perhaps maybe, again, I am too smart to be a patient. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I came close.
But when these cliche Barnes and Noble self-help things come back around, I get a little bit angry. Because I wanted to believe. I wanted to believe that things were going to get better. It's the whole terminology about identifying as a victim. You've, you've got to get through the bitch rider. You know, you've got to break through that. And it's not really a moniker that people embrace and say, hey, I want to be a victim this week, or I want to be a victim, um, you know, when I go here or when I do that. It's something that always lingers. Because when you use the term victim, you've got to use the term survivor. And the fact is, when these bodies come up, you relive the whole thing all over again. Now, when I was in individual therapy and when I was in the hospital, they kept talking about what I had, what happened to me when I was a kid, seventh grade, and they said perhaps there was a schism. I couldn't deal with what was happening, so my body stayed in the teacher's office or in this car, and my mind went somewhere else. But where did I go? Somewhere else. My mind went elsewhere. Well, where exactly is elsewhere? I just know that I couldn't stay in the moment. I know that the body tries to prevent us from killing ourselves. We'll pass out. The brain shuts down. But what does it mean to survive? Because I really want to know where did I go in that moment? Because these things come back to me now like flashbacks, but it's not like a drug-induced LSD flashback. These things are in live color and I'm just raw. I remember his aftershave. I remember the hair on his arm, on his chest. Later in the day, I, I knew five o'clock shadow was coming. I remember how he always had his shirt tucked into his jersey pants. His navy blue striped pants, white t-shirt, Oxford cloth, white tennis shoes. Take you off the whistle. And well, when these bodies come back from the bottom and they bob up and down topside, if you couldn't deal with the back then, what are you supposed to do with it now? Because he. I have ideas about where I went when I was a kid, my, where my mind went to. I was always writing. I was always writing short stories and, and things like that. Trying to get my Ray Bradbury on. 
trying to get away or maybe write off on Robert Frost. Well, these memories, they, they make up the foundation of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is what shell shock is called now. It's got a hyphen and it's calm and it's clever, it's beautiful. It makes people feel good because shell shock is more of a, well, linguistically, it's kind of a kick to the groin, shell shock. But post-traumatic stress disorder, hmm, that's very British. Tea and crumpets, things like that. Shell shock. Post-traumatic stress disorder. It even sounds softer. But when you close your eyes, not so much. Not so much. In group this week, I don't know why, but I guess I dominated most of the session because I just started talking and everybody just looked at me and their body language said the floor was open, so I took it and I don't know why. I haven't sounded off on these things in, I guess, maybe, I don't know, six months, maybe more. But I started to revisit things like my drug use. I know I, I made an attempt to go to Narcotics Anonymous and they're good people. But I don't see the difference between a pharmaceutical and illicit drugs. Drugs is a negative connotation here in America. But pharmaceuticals, they seem to come down from heaven or something. Something medicinal something good for you, a pharmaceutical. I don't see the difference between a pharmacist and my drug dealer. I don't. I know that the pharmacist is in plain view. I know they have a license. I know they went to school. I know they're dressed in a white lab coat. And they are to be trusted. The drugs are tested. The pharmaceuticals go through the FDA and they're given to us. But what is the difference? Because there are so many drugs they offer you, and because I took pharmacology, I understand what all of these drugs do and what families they're from and their side effects. I understand the, the maturation of the pharmaceutical dander these umbrella drugs, the FDA signed off on one thing and then they reapplied and they got it signed off on a second thing and then it, they reapplied and got it signed off on a third thing. They're not really interested in treating, or rather, they're interested in treating, but they don't want to cure anybody. It's not really a conspiracy. You and I both know that America is a nation of pill poppers. We don't want to get to the root of the problem. 
We don't want to solve it. We have to cope. And some of us, we don't have healthy choices. But you know that path they tell you is less traveled. That's bullshit. Because there are many, many rape victims that drug up. And I'm not talking about Valium. I'm not talking about Trazodone. I'm talking about those illicit drugs with a negative connotation. D-R-U-G-S. Those coping skills that you find in a line of coke or in a shroom, a sugar cube of acid. I mean, it's okay to say you're gonna tread lightly, but the fact is you wanna leave. You don't wanna be here, you wanna escape. And you don't wanna talk about what it is you're escaping. I mean, I spent almost my whole life trying to avoid that conversation. There's got to be a reason that you want to escape. There has to be a reason that you take drugs. There's got to be a reason that you jump out of a plane with a parachute. There's got to be a reason that you use a motorbike and you go over a 30-foot hill. There's a reason that you jump off a bridge with a rubber band stuck to your ankle. You want the, you want a fix. But most of those things that I mentioned, they're all legal except for the drugs. I mean, here in America, you can go to a bar and you can, you can rock out. But where do you go? I mean, in that moment when you say, you know, I just, I need something to take the edge off. What is it about that edge? Why does it hurt so much? Why is it that you want to leave? Just for a moment. It feels so good to be completely relaxed. No worries. We are told to live a life without regret. Well, that means we have to stop caring. And this week I thought about my young self, that boy. Something could have been done. But where did he go? His body stayed. But where did his mind go? The bodies keep coming topside. You see the danger of water. You can feel it on their flesh, their hair, their fingernails, the eyes glass over. 
you don't want to be there. It's just as bad now as it was back then. But the adult version of myself doesn't appear to be any better at this than when I was a kid. I know that some of you have noted that there appears to be a little bit of pessimism, that I'm a bit of a cynic. Well, that's very perceptive of you. But it is difficult to go from saying I stand for the sunny side and then actually go do it. Life is not so easy. Yeah, if you don't care about things. But what if you do? What if you do care? What if you're a Johnny-come-lately and you all of a sudden wake up and say, you know what, I, I want to care. I want to care about what happened when I was a kid. I want to care about that person and that person and that person. And I want to care about the church and I want to care about the family. I want to care about the business. I want to care about money. I want to care about power. I want to care about vanity. I am a hedonist. I hunt down pleasure the way the woodsmen hunt down the feral hog. It's not that I'm running toward game. It's not that I search out the prey. Rather, I am running from starvation. Because I know what it feels like. I remember everything about the teacher. And I hate that for me. I can understand why when I was younger. Because the bodies keep coming topside and I don't know what to do with them. I go back to the bong. I go back to the baggie. And for a few moments, it's all better. I didn't ask permission. I didn't get a script. I just disappeared. And I think I've earned it. Whether or not you like it. You have no idea how insignificant you are to me. I embrace risk. I embrace the dark. Because I've been there so long. It is more familiar to me than the sun or the air in my lungs. I know it in every conceivable way.
running towards something is different than running away from something. And maybe you can go through your whole life and not learn that. You want to pick the path less traveled. You want to be clever. You want to be a pathfinder. You want to be a trailblazer. So be it. You do it your way and I'll do it mine. There'll be no judgment here. Not for me. You see, the one thing that the guys in the group know, that I know, and every victim knows, is that the pedophile always wins. Because what they did to us cannot be forgiven. And what they took away cannot be returned. There are things that we do to each other that we cannot apologize for. The act is too much. And so I disappear. Where did I go? You have been listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and I wish you all the best. Be a blessing, and may you find serenity.